You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A Vancouver man has pleaded guilty in a deadly hit and run in Kitsilano last year. Kristen Robinson has the details, including why the driver's plea in this high profile case was kept from the public for more than two weeks. 27-year-old Alexander Romero Arata pleaded guilty to criminal negligence causing death on November 29th. We couldn't report it at the time due to a publication ban on the proceedings implemented because Romero Arata was facing trial by jury in B.C. Supreme Court on an unrelated charge of sexual assault. The family of 24-year-old Owen Byrne watched by video from Ireland as Romero Arata entered a guilty plea in Vancouver Provincial Court. Byrne was walking home in June 2022, crossing West 4th at Arbuta Street with a friend when he was struck and killed by Romero Arata. Surveillance video captured a sedan speeding by before the victim's body rolled along the road after being thrown several meters. In an agreed statement of facts, court heard Romero Arata was drinking and should not have been driving. He reached speeds of up to 140 kilometers an hour and was running red lights. Romero Arata fled the scene of the collision and called 911 the next day to falsely report his car was stolen. It's horrifying uh, that uh, an innocent person um, who was walking on the street struck and killed instantly, had their whole life ahead of them. So it's very tragic and it definitely took a toll on our investigators. We were able to recommend charge, one of the highest charges in uh, fatal collisions, which is criminal negligence causing death. Romero Arata was also charged with failing to stop at an accident causing death and public mischief, but pleaded guilty to criminal negligence causing death only. The Crown is seeking five years in jail and a five-year driving ban. On December 16th, a jury found Romero Arata guilty of one count of sexual assault involving a 16-year-old he met online. The victim testified Romero Arata had sexual intercourse with her without her consent in a Vancouver hotel room two years ago. Both cases have been put over to the new year for sentencing. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An arrest and charges have now been laid in connection with the discovery of a woman's body inside a home in a Ladner townhouse complex last night. Let's go to our Grace Key, who's live with more on this. Grace, investigators have been on the scene all day. Yeah, they've been in and out of this complex all day. The uh, yellow police tape we see is still up there. And a couple of, a couple of the uh, police vehicles are still behind me as well. Now, about an hour ago, the victim's body was removed from the building and loaded into the coroner's van. Very little is known about the victim. Police are only saying she is related to the female suspect, but the exact relationship is unknown. Now, police were first called to the scene at about 5. 510 last night. The complex is on the 4800 block of 47A Avenue. Police say they arrested the suspect soon after they arrived. And this afternoon, Delta Police did release a statement saying 28-year-old Preeti Tina Kaur Panasir has been charged with first-degree murder. Now, because the matter is now before the courts, uh, police aren't really releasing a lot of details at this time, but we do know that the custody, the, uh, vic the um, suspect in this case, is still in custody at this hour. So again, police still at the scene right now. Uh, we suspect they should be uh, uh, wrapping up here shortly, though. Back to you. All right, unsettling for neighbors, I'm sure. Grace, thanks for that. A Fraser Valley family is dealing with the agonizing and they believe preventable death of their mother one week before Christmas. 
The woman died Sunday night at Abbotsford Regional Hospital after being admitted two days prior with kidney stones. Her daughter is blaming it on an extended wait for treatment. Angela Jung reports. She deserved better and it's not fair. Hannah Raufi is agonizing over the death of her beloved mother. Luanora Ertenkov went to the ER at Abbotsford Regional Hospital last Friday. Raufi says that's where her mother was failed. It makes me upset. It makes me feel like they were negligent. It makes me feel like they didn't prioritize her. The family says the 55-year-old had a chronic kidney stone issue and history of sepsis. When she started to feel ill, Raufi says they sent a urine sample to the lab, which confirmed she had an infection, triggering the ER visit. At this point, the infection is festering, right? 12 hours, it's been 12, 13 hours at this point. She's still in pain. She's still struggling. She's still asking for help and nothing. Raufi says her mother didn't get help until nearly 14 hours later. That's when the family was told a CT scan revealed Erktenkov needed emergency surgery to deal with an apparent obstruction, which may not have been the case. On Sunday, her mother's condition continued to get worse. She died in the ICU. You know, her body at that point was rapidly fading away, so we never got to say goodbye. Raufi says the family is outraged. She is high risk. The history is there. The chart is there. The information is there. All they had to do was care enough to look at it. Abbotsford Hospital's medical director, Dr. David Louis, says he can't comment on the specifics of the case, but sends his condolences. He says staff would assess patients based on their symptoms when they arrive at the emergency department. Patient will be triaged accordingly to their vital signs and their their history, and then um, care will be directed in a timely fashion according to, to uh, their triage assessments. Raufi is seeking accountability and has filed an official complaint. She says by speaking out, she wants to ensure her mother did not die in vain. My family currently is not whole. She is missing. And I'm hoping that maybe I will keep somebody else's family whole so that this doesn't happen to somebody else's friend or relative. Angela Jung, Global News. BC's Human Rights Tribunal will hear a complaint from people living in the Crab Park encampment against the City of Vancouver and the Vancouver Park Board. Residents claim the City and Park Board have not provided them with basic survival services, such as washroom facilities. They also point to a lack of proper sanitation in the park and insufficient electricity. Fiona York, an advocate for the park's residents, says they feel they're being treated unfairly because those services are being offered in other parks. In a statement, Vancouver Park Board spokesperson says the city and board are unaware of the letter and will be reviewing any complaint when they receive it. A former Vancouver Park Ranger is speaking out tonight about the sometimes overwhelming stress of a job that is not what most people think it is. As Alyssa Thibault reports, she wants the public and the decision makers to know what the job really entails. Their job description is taking care of Vancouver's parks. 
But today, the role of a park ranger is mostly this. Those first few months were like tense all day long, all day long, every day, <laughs> five days a week. It was a lot, 75 to 95%, I would say, the job has become. We need everyone to pack down their tents today. Amanda Gray worked as a ranger for six months this year while the film industry was shut down. The job description was a lot about what you'd expect from a park ranger, uh, the you know ecological side, um, talking with tourists about directions, um, trees and Stanley Park wildlife. Um, there was then also one sentence that was about you know, working with the homeless. The realities of the job took her by surprise. Camping is allowed overnight, but tents are required to pack up by 8am, as per the bylaw. And after just two months of enforcing that bylaw, Grace says she was burnt out. It's emotionally draining, emotionally um, difficult. Um, it's difficult in terms of the pace. Every tent is going to be different. Every person you deal with is going to be different. Global News has learned that this year, 13 rangers have left the program. 39 rangers remain. And in the midst of a housing crisis, more people than ever are living in Vancouver's parks. Did your heart break a little bit? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I mean, I stood with people on the street crying with them. Still, the job is enforcement and often met with criticism. I am bombarded by rangers every day and the VPD standing behind them saying I'm not allowed to be in a safe place in my tent. Sometimes it looks difficult. Um, sometimes it looks like we're being mean. We're just kicking people out. That's not really the intent of it. We do it with the, the greatest kindness and compassion that we can. Doing a clean up in five minutes. Compassion while understanding the safety risk. Last year, Constable Shailene Yang with Burnaby RCMP was stabbed to death in a park while approaching a tent. And since September, two Vancouver Rangers have been hospitalised after being injured on the job. Gray says decision makers need to understand the work in order to keep people. Hopefully they can just stay aware of how it is, not how they want it to be. How is it right now? Global News has reached out to the Park Board and the Mayor's Office for comment. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Well, the federal government rolls out its goals for EV adoption with big concerns about how to power all of them. BC is already unable to meet growing demand from a rapidly expanding population and drought is making it even worse. How our energy supply is drying up and what BC Hydro was doing about it next on the News Hour. It was a much different era, and it was great. Historic Little Mountain Sound, honored with a mayor's proclamation for swagger in the recording studio, launching some of rock's biggest albums. That's coming up later. And BC researchers make a troubling discovery in our orca population coming up. First, though, the federal government is rolling out its requirements for electric vehicle sales and confusing the situation somewhat. Ottawa's deadlines don't quite line up with those previously announced here in B.C. Under the new federal rules, by 2026, 20% 20 of cars, SUVs and light-duty pickups sold must be electric. By 2030, that number climbs to 60%. And by 2035, all vehicles must be zero emission. Here in B.C., the targets were updated in October with the EV sales requirement hitting 26% by 2025, 90% by 2030, and 100% by 2035 in line with that new federal target. The success that British Columbia has had 
which in part has uh, played into the targets that Canada has been able to set. We already have two provinces that are above the 20% mark for, for new vehicles being, being sold, Quebec and, and, and British Columbia. Canada-wide, EVs account for about 10% of new vehicles registered. Well, there is no doubt you are seeing a lot more EVs on the road these days, and they all need to be charged. But as the demand for power grows, BC Hydro has been forced to import electricity. As Richard Zussman reports, drought conditions are impacting how much hydroelectric power is being generated. It's an ongoing drought that's forcing BC Hydro to make some drastic decisions. This year has been an absolutely extraordinary one with an unprecedented drought and it's put BC Hydro in the position of being a net importer. For the first time ever, both the Columbia and Peace River are at historic lows. Low levels means less power, forcing BC Hydro to rely on energy imports for one-fifth of the province-wide demand for electricity. We perhaps need to rethink some of our, our assumptions here in this province. Being reliant on uh, hydroelectricity is to deal with the reliance, the provincial government is asking for independent power producers to help. But that comes with a cost, considering electric vehicles, electrification of the LNG industry, and a growing population driving up the demand for power. When you put all these things together and you get an answer from the minister saying, we're fine, we've got a surplus, we've got a surplus of power, nothing to see here, all is good, and I'm going blue in the face saying, it just doesn't, this doesn't make sense. The Sightsee Dam is expected to be operational next year, which will add additional power to the grid. But BC United says hydro should have already been filling the reservoir in order to manufacture that power sooner. The only thing I can think of is they're ill-prepared, which is a strike. I think BC Hydro undertook a very prudent decision in not filling the reservoir this year. The forecasts for electricity that will be needed in BC are based on ongoing weather patterns and the province no longer can rely on that considering the impacts of climate change and what that's meant in the last few years. We're looking at you know many regions astoundingly right across the province from the Okanagan right up to the northeast of BC uh, with their driest year on record. And the situation isn't expected to improve with another warm, dry year in the forecast, turning up both the heat for rivers and for BC Hydro when it comes to power production. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us with more on the potential impacts on the price of electricity and what that means mm -hmm. for consumers. Keith? Yeah, quite the unprecedented situation BC Hydro is facing, the drought, uh, rising population. A lot of people don't know that BC Hydro usually makes a lot of money selling power, but those days for now are over. The, the revenues on trade uh, transactions are down more than a billion dollars from last year. Uh, Rick McCandless, who you saw in Richard's story there, makes the point that this may cause BC Hydro to reconsider the use of a fund it uses to smooth out housing rates at relatively low levels that may not be accessible to them. Here's Rick McCandless once again. Hydro has a plan in right now with the Utilities Commission to uh, use the uh, approximately billion dollar surplus in their uh, export account uh, to smooth our rates at about 2.3% for the next number of years. Um, they may have to reconsider that if we have, if this drought continues. 
So McCandless, who also has intervener status at the BC Utilities Commission on things concerning BC Hydro and ICBC, also got some documents recently that shows that BC Hydro is now shifting to wind power in this new power, next power call next spring. That's another historic shift. Usually, of course, our series of network of dams supply our electricity. Now Hydro's basically saying the days of damming rivers and streams are over. It's going to be wind farms, which are controversial on their own right, quite apart from dams. So that's the way of the future for BC Hydro. All right, interesting. Thanks for that, Keith. Just ahead, buyer beware. Prepaid cards can be the best gifts, especially if you're a last-minute shopper. But there are some things you need to know first. Plus, <laughs> it means I won't be hungry. Literally. <laughs> also tonight, food for the soul at Surrey Urban Mission. Still seeing some delays for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 through Vancouver in the Cassiar Tunnel after clearing some earlier issues. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $12 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, for those of us who have trouble finding the perfect present for someone on your holiday list, Purchasing a gift card is a popular option. It sure is. I know you already got me something, so <laughs> it's not for me. But there are provincial rules around those cards. And Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us now with a timely reminder so you get the right kind. Thanks so much, Chris. According to the Retail Council of Canada and Leger Holiday Shopping Survey, 45% of shoppers are leaning towards purchasing gift cards this season, with dining gift cards topping the list, followed by big box retailers and food outlets. Having said that, there are some rules around gift cards that are worth noting. Now, if you have a gift card for a certain amount of money in BC, that gift card is not allowed to expire. But there are some scenarios where a gift card could have an expiry date. That includes gift cards which were purchased through a fundraiser, like an auction, or sold for charitable purposes. Gift cards that are issued for a specific good or service are also allowed to expire. And here's why. So the good way to differentiate it is if you get someone a gift card for a spa and you just get them $200 towards the spa, that is not allowed to expire. However, if you get them a gift card or a gift certificate for a very specific type of service, like let's say it's the spa royale treatment and it includes a certain amount of things, that is for a specific service, so it is allowed to expire. And it's allowed to expire because it costs the business a certain amount of money to give you that product or service, and that can change over time. The language does matter on the gift card because it's then being specific and telling you what it is that you're going to get for it. If there's a dollar value on it, then you can use that money in any way that you want towards that business. Maybe they sell products. Maybe it's for, you know, towards a pedicure. Maybe it's towards a few things. It's essentially kind of like cash. Now, when it comes to mall gift cards, there are some things to keep in mind. They can charge up to a $1.50 service fee at the time of purchase. Keep in mind, if you do not use your mall card within 15 months, a monthly service charge can be applied to the remaining balance. This is called a post-purchase fee, and it can't be more than $2.50 per month. This information needs to be included on the card. In fact, by law, any restrictions, limitations, terms and conditions on the card must be made clear to you by 
the issuer. So, as always, read the fine print. As for prepaid credit cards issued by a financial institution, they fall under federal rules, and you can go to the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada for more information. If you do run into trouble with your gift card and it expires when it shouldn't, you can always reach out to Consumer Protection BC for help. But the best advice is to use your gift card sooner rather than later. And if you have an issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All good to know. Thanks very much, Ann. The Vancouver Airport is bracing for a busy week of holiday travelers. Between now and Boxing Day, YVR is expecting more than six more than 69,000 passengers per day. That's about 2,300 fewer than pre-pandemic. The busiest day will be Friday when more than 74,000 travelers will pass through the airport. The quietest day will be Christmas Day. Travel tips if you're heading to the airport this holiday season include avoid taking wrapped presents through screening and check your flight status before you leave home. The Surrey Urban Mission Society hosted its first community Christmas event today. The festive lunch featured hot chocolate, candies and a hot meal for those in need. And as Janet Brown reports, the demand for this kind of support is only growing. Thank you so much. They're celebrating Christmas early at the Surrey Urban Mission in Wally. It means I won't be hungry. Literally. <laughs> Christmas dinner served to hundreds with all the trimmings. It means a lot. It's uh, spreading the holiday cheer. Jesse is 34 and says his downward spiral started when he was only a teenager. My mother died when I was 19 and then uh, drugs started to take over my life. My dad wasn't home. Homeless isn't, um, it's not a thing. Homeless is a person. Almost has a face. The mission CEO says over 37,000 meals have been served up at their four Surrey sites between January and November, bringing some hope and help to those who need it most. Nobody chooses to be homeless. Nobody chooses to be addicted. You know, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to move down to Wally and, and live in an alley and, and become addicted. Life is hard nowadays. I'm on a pension and uh, even the pension uh, I'm broke. There's no shortage of people that we encounter on a daily basis who are suffering from homelessness, addictions or mental health. Came here today for the, the food. Scott Dumont Kennedy went through 22 months of rehab and is finally getting back on his feet again. Things are going good. Things are going good. Yeah. You just got to have faith and then if, if you believe it you can receive it right. Barry was asking where the elected officials were today because he had a message for them. We need homes for the homeless. There's too many homeless people around here. And it's ridiculous that they have to sleep all over the place and not have a home. Christmas dinner, a tradition the Surrey Urban Mission hopes to see become an annual event. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, children spending the holidays in hospital. An exclusive look at the neonatal care unit and how new technology is helping the smallest patients get healthy again. And diving into the impact of ocean pollution, what researchers discovered about West Coast orcas. Right where we're standing, this is like ground zero. 
Some of the most iconic albums from the 80s and 90s were recorded right here in this Vancouver studio. It's a combination of the building and the people. We're here to make a record. We're not here to have a party. We look up from the console and they're gone. Well, you have to be half shrink, half producer. You see, we recorded Slippery when wet right down the street. Traffic is steady both ways over at the Patello Bridge right now, but expect some minor delays later on when crews get to work on ongoing construction on the bridge deck during the overnight hours. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Toxic chemicals produced from oil emissions and wildfire smoke have been found in muscle and liver samples of killer whales off the coast of BC. UBC researchers behind the study say the findings are a clear indication of the health of our local waters. The type of chemicals discovered are carcinogenic with potentially disastrous effects on the mammals. Researchers say it's important to have a baseline on these levels to monitor trends and the impact on marine ecosystems. To support risk management of pollution is basically to inform policy decision makers. Prevention is better than cure. And maybe this is a red flag, right? That we really, we, we should really think very, very seriously to transition away from more fossil fuel consumption. The decline of southern resident killer whales is the result of many factors, but pollution is a big one, according to the study's authors. We are getting an inside look at the unit where BC's most vulnerable babies are cared for. BC Women's Neonatal Care Unit sees about 1,000 patients a year from right across the province. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the latest technology is being used to help the youngest patients. At just four months old, baby Arjun has been through so much already. Born with pulmonary hypertension, his heart and lungs have struggled to meet his growing body's needs. He's much better now. Yeah. Performing an ultrasound on his heart, one of the only ways to know what's going on internally with the heart structure. They don't listen to instructions. You can't ask them to stand still or sit still. So you have to move your hands as the baby moves and be a bit um, creative. Dr. Shovik Mitra, one of two doctors using TN Echo technology at BC Women's Hospital. The highly sensitive device can pinpoint defects in the smallest of blood vessels and help tailor treatment for patients. It is a fine balance between when to treat and when not to treat because every treatment comes with its own risks as well. The neonatal intensive care unit at BC Women sees about a thousand patients a year the sickest, smallest babies from all over the province. Advances in maternal medicine have pushed premature delivery rates higher than they've ever been. Despite more complex cases, discharge rates have also gone up. More kids going home healthier. A lot of it is the increased ad advances in newborn care and also the dedicated care that's provided by our team here in BC Women's Hospital, NICU. Arjun isn't out of the woods just yet. A hernia surgery is scheduled for the new year. Mom hopes he can be home to meet his twin brother by the beginning of February. It's a magic. Our team is good. 
Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, a musical adventurer. I toured from Port Hardy to Pecos Cove. From touring with Marvin Gaye to finding a home in Vancouver, how the party never stops for Chico Tohomaso. Plus. Behind the Beats, the launch of Squire's documentary about the decadent success of Little Mountain Sound and how the city is acknowledging the studio's massive impact. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agency's group. 50 years of trust in your community. It's become the go-to place for selfies in Vancouver this holiday season, and it may stay around longer than initially planned. That's right. The giant red illuminated Vancouver sign has been set up along the waterfront at Canada Place. It's part of the Liven Up Coal Harbor Holiday Project, sponsored by area hotels, the convention center, and Port of Vancouver. It was set to come down at the end of the month, but due to its popularity, the city is looking at making it a permanent feature. In my opinion, I would keep it as like as long as possible because I feel like this this sign would attract many tourists here, and um, it's it's always nice to have something like that. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, and it's a perfect picture spot as well, of course. And I'm very happy to be back in Vancouver after 30 years. I mean, it's kind of nice when you come right off the boat. You see the big Vancouver sign. It shows a little pride. I know we have one in Nanaimo, and everybody loves it. The city would be looking for sponsors if the sign were to remain there permanently. It does sort of emphasize just how gray the city can be <laughs> does. sometimes. Got a giant red illuminated sign there. To, that is brightening things yeah, up down there, it's isn't nice it? It's nice to have a splash of color. Mm -hmm. All right. That uh, is true. Yeah, Christy and I are wearing black today. <laughs> that's okay. It's festive. But I have uh, a splash of color, the red, too. That's right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Christy, what do we have? Well, certainly on a gray day like today, it is nice to brighten things up. We do have a warning out there for people that are in and around the Vanderhoof region, west of Prince George. We've had reports of freezing rain, and there's a freezing rain warning. We are expecting that potential to last right through until midnight tonight, so really watch for icy conditions on the roads. Meanwhile, further north, up towards sort of Muncho Lake, as well as the Pine Pass region, 15 centimeters of snow is possible overnight. And that's because of this system here, and you can actually see that pink in the radar. That gives you a good indication of that freezing rain. Uh, today was very wet across our region, but boy was it mild, and that mild air is expected to continue as it shifts further north of our region. So tomorrow, not nearly as wet. We still do have a slight chance of showers in the morning, but generally trending towards mainly cloudy skies. May see some breaks of blue sky, but not many. The bulk of the moisture in through the northern portions of Vancouver Island, Central Coast, and the Caribou Central Interior. But as I mentioned, in terms of snowfall, barely any for this time of year. That's uh, really quite interesting. Uh, local mountains didn't receive any snowfall. We are, by the way, though, hoping for some snow on the local mountains come Friday. Fingers crossed that that is the case. But right now, it's really the very tops of the mountains that are seeing snowfall. Look at this, for example. Six degrees in Prince George with periods of rain tomorrow. Uh, five degrees in Kelowna, as you can see, with mainly cloudy skies. And for our region, we're expecting some breaks of blue sky across southern Vancouver Island. For our area, though, mainly cloudy likely throughout the day. But a high of 11 degrees is substantial. 
substantial. Typical for this time of year is six degrees. Don't forget winter solstice is on Thursday. Slight chance of showers Thursday. Also periods of rain though expected Friday and then into the weekend temperatures are going to come down. We're expecting sunshine on Saturday but it doesn't look like the cooler or more seasonal values will remain in place for very long. Great shot from Kimberly. Thank you to Robert for sharing that one. Look at the view from on top of the Kim Kimberly um, ski resort there. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Doesn't get much better. Awesome. Okay, now the story of a musician who came to Vancouver to perform at Expo 86 and never left. He shared the stage with big names like Lionel Richie and Celine Dion. But as Jada Rand tells us in This Is BC, it was Marvin Gaye who changed his life. 50 years of live music for Chico Tahamaso. It was a lifetime ago now when some unforgettable Ed Sullivan episodes first got him hooked as a kid. I love Sly and the Family Stones. Uh, the, the music, the energy. Leading choirs and bands in Hawaii, Chico's star was rising in the late 70s when he got a call that would change his life. I was invited to go on tour with Marvin Gaye, and he was my idol. I went to Waimanalo Beach, it went, yeah! Did Marvin have any advice for you? In order for you to become a good artist, you're gonna have to go through some pain. And then when I lost loved ones, I can see what he was talking about. Life took another big turn when he was invited to be part of the music scene at Expo 86. I look at it as like a blur because it's trans because you're on stage and somebody else come and then you come back on and then somebody else come and then another group. So it was like a rhythm. The man has been in a lot of places. Vancouver became home as he toured extensively for the next decade. And I was talking to my brother in Hawaii, he go, where you at? Moose? Moose? You where? I go, Moose job, bro. Portis La Prairie. Steinbeck, Manitoba. I walked in, everybody turned around. <laughs> this right here with the Commodore. He's been on stage with many big names over the years. Lana Richie in 1986. Celine Dion in 94, and then Reba McIntyre. But nothing will ever replace that 1980 European tour with his idol. It was life-changing, because I, I was observing Marvin on stage. Brother, brother, brother. It's something about certain music. It, it never dies. It just keeps going around. It's always relevant. What's going on? Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. What a talent. He's seen so much. Another guy who's seen a lot in sports, Squire Barnes, joins us now. Yes, I've been watching a lot of Canuck goals. Oh, oh that's well, that's They a can't good be thing. stopped. Doesn't matter where they play, when they play. This team just does not lose, and they certainly fill nets. Now, game's not over yet, but they're off to a good start. I'll show you what's happening there, and also go back to that huge win last night for the Seattle Seahawks. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, people in the States noticed what we were doing. The birthplace of some of the biggest albums of all time, a preview of Squire's rockumentary, Little Mountain, Big Sound, debuting tonight.
one time? Some guy just set a record for the number of clothes pegs pegged to your face. Wow. And it's 52. That would hurt. You'd need a big face. Too. And it, it, the re that record that he broke has stood for 10 years, so it's a big Not deal. Not surprised. I can't believe he didn't set it himself and that somebody actually had done it before. I mean, <laughs> come on. I can't believe anybody sits at home and thinks, what world record should I set? I know, clothespins <laughs> on my face. Yeah. It's weird. All right. The Canucks are in Nashville tonight. Vancouver has won five of its last six. The only loss was in a shootout on Saturday against Minnesota. So the points are 11 out of a possible 12 in that stretch. Now, Nashville was rolling coming into this game as well. They had won seven of their last eight. The Canucks put Casey DeSmith in goal for this one. Demko gets a night off. The Canucks also have given Andre Kuzmenko a night off. Once again, a healthy scratch. Now, in the game against Chicago on Sunday... Andre Kuzmenko did not record a shot on goal. He also didn't have a shot on goal in the game Saturday against Minnesota. You cannot disappear like that when you are a shooter, especially when Rick Tockett's your coach. There's a guy who's shooting and scoring like crazy this year, Brock Besser. Elias Pettersson, power play chance? No, UC Soros makes the save. But he didn't stop Pedersen the next time he had a chance. Down the right side and scores. Nice shot. one nothing for Vancouver. Then, well, both Nils have scored. Nils Oman, whoa, it's a gift. Well, it is almost Christmas. And that makes it. 2-0 in the first period. Those two came in rapid succession. Connor Garland, whoa! Now, the old school in me would like Dakota Joshua to do something there, but instead it was Nashville that got the penalty, so I guess it was a smart move. Casey DeSmith, second period. Save, save. Yep. Boy, he was a good pickup as a backup to Thatcher Demko. Still in the second period. Well, Lausanne scores. That's the guy who hit Connor Garland earlier. That made it 2-1, to one, but the guys in the Colonel Mustard uniforms let two more goals in after that. The other nils, Hoaglander. There's a nice little tip here off the Quinn Hughes shot. It's 3-1. And the one thing about the Canucks, they've played hard. They've played very well this year. And things seem to be going their way because of it. Here's another example. Soros and I guess they give it to Pew Suter, but it looks like Soros knocked it in his own net. But whatever the case, Pew Suter gets the goal, and the Canucks have a 4-1 lead after two. And when they're up after two, they don't lose usually. Um, the Seattle Seahawks saved their season last night in the most dramatic of ways, scoring the winning touchdown in the final minute at home to beat Philadelphia 20-17. Backup quarterback Drew Locke and rookie wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba combined for the fantastic finish, make that fantastic finish, which was the last play of an incredible 92-yard game-winning drive. It wasn't just a big win for the Seahawks as a team. It was big for quarterback Drew Locke, who thought he would just be a backup and never get a chance again to have this kind of a feeling. You don't get very mo many moments. You don't get very many opportunities in this league. Um, and with every opportunity you get, you need to be as ready as you can be because you don't get a ton of them. And for us to come out tonight and 
play the way we did and get a win and one of you know two opportunities I had this year to start gosh that you know I was just I was excited you know I was emotional I was emotional for myself but I was emotional for these guys in this locker room he mentioned the locker room. Speaking of the Seahawks locker room, if you think Drew Locke and the rest of the players on the Seahawks were excited, and they were, obviously, you should see the reaction of the ageless 72-year-old ball of energy named Pete Carroll, who had this to say to his team in the dressing room right after that win over the Eagles last night. But I just think this, this thing is too important. It's too important. Can you win the game in the first quarter? No! Can you win the game in the second quarter? No! It's hard to conjure up that energy now, but yeah, Pete has lots of it. Anyway, they're seven and seven now, so the playoff chance is uh, much better than it was had they lost. They'd pretty much be out. What a game! What a finish! Watched it all. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the big sound coming out of Little Mountain, where some of Rock's biggest hits were born. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in our newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, the B.C. government has announced the largest confiscation in the history of its civil forfeiture program. PacNet Services has forfeited $10 million to the province over allegations it provided payment services for people around the world who ran scams aimed at seniors. The company is not admitting to any unlawful activity on its part, but the Solicitor General says the settlement sends a strong message. We'll hear from Mike Farnworth at 11. Plus, another warning about another fake nurse in BC. Chris? All right. Troubling. Thanks very much, Jordan. All right. Squire is here now. And this is a special day in the city of Vancouver and one that a lot of folks might not even realize is happening today. And you should realize it. Um, this is a story we've kind of uh, been talking about for a while. Little Mountain Sound Recording Studios, which in the late 70s to the early 1990s, put out some incredible records. A lot of people probably didn't even know it was happening right underneath our noses, but it was. And today, the city of Vancouver um, is giving them their due. It's overdue, but they're giving it now and it's good. Last Sunday, many of the people you see here were honored for making Vancouver the place to be, especially in the 1980s, if you were in the rock music business. Little Mountain Sound Studios was given an official proclamation that includes the city lighting various buildings and bridges in platinum and gold because that's what they were mining at Little Mountain on West 7th through the production of some of the biggest records and songs ever, such as the seminal record by Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. That record would change our lives. There was the magic combination of our band, Bruce Fairburn, Bob Rock, a little-known studio called Little Mountain in the city of Vancouver. But after the success of Bon Jovi, it was no longer a little-known studio. For example, Aerosmith showed up to do three records there. 
Motley Crue did a record there. Even ACDC did Razor's Edge at Little Mountain. And when they arrived in Vancouver, it was producer Bruce Fairburn who suggested to them that maybe their song Thunderstruck needed an intro, which led to one of the most iconic guitar riffs in music history. I remember Angus sitting just about where you are with a cigarette, lit a cigarette, and he says, Bruce says, oh, I need something for this intro for, uh, for Thunderstruck. He says, you know, some little sound to sort of start the song off. So Angus says, oh, I got this little thing. So he started playing a ding ling 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 Well, if you look, he played it all the way through the t song, one take. Uh, and it was only supposed to go in the intro, but we just let him play. And by the time he was done playing the ass and the cigarette was all the way down there. <laughs> and if you listen to the mix of that now, we kept it in the whole song. We just sort of dip it out in places, but he played it one take through the whole song. The stories about what happened in this rather nondescript looking building are endless, just as the music made there is timeless. It was Vancouver's gift to the world of music, and it's a gift that has kept on giving. So much good material that you had to work through and all of that. Well, I mean, all the people who worked there, uh, I mean, so many brilliant talents out of this city and the music world knows who they all are. They still use them because they haven't lost their brilliance. The mm -hmm. studio, it's still there. It's now called Hipposonic. Little Mountain Sound is no longer there, but all that Little Mountain Sound did, Bruce Fairburn, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, and Bob Rock, all the work they did is still out there and people are still listening to it. And watch the special tonight on BC One at 10 p.m. Squire, great work. 10 p.m. Awesome. will give you a bit of a longer story as to what happened there. Before we go, big shout out, congratulations to our Krista Dow and her husband, Jason Mina. There's their little bundle of joy. Yes, say hello to little Enzo Mina, who, by the way, missed his deadline, arriving 12 days after his due date. Ooh. That will never happen again. You, Krista, you can <laughs> hold it against him for the rest of his life. Congratulations, you two. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.